Welcome back to the Craft Heads podcast, everybody. We are on episode 74, and for those of you joining us for the first time, this is the podcast where my best friend Tommy and I, uh, we review some sort of a cocktail or spirit or beer, wine, whatever. We usually have some shout-outs for people that we've met in our everyday lives, uh, usually at some sort of a restaurant, bar, establishment, small business, something like that, so give some local love and also talk about a particular topic. Uh, Tommy's not with me this evening, but I do have two special guests who have both been on the show before, um, multiple times each, but this is another book review, another book club episode of sorts, like we had on episode (laughs) 31, where we read and reviewed and talked about The Circle. So this evening, I have Tara and James joining me, and we're going to talk about 1984 by George Orwell. We also watched uh, the movie. So the book came out in 1948, or 49, one of the two. And then they had a a movie in the 50s. We didn't watch that one, but we did watch the one with John Hurt that was released in 1984. So we'll talk about the, we're going to talk about the book, we're going to talk about the movie, and we're going to talk about our opinions of both. Exactly. So that's it. With that, um, welcome back, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's start with a synopsis. Wait, the drink. The drink. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah the drink. Yeah, yeah. The drink. Um, we are drinking New Amsterdam gin. We should have gotten something really, really shitty, but Winston <laughs> Smith, the protagonist in the book, continually drinks gin, just sloshing around in a glass with nothing special in it or around it. And we thought it would be appropriate to swill some gin this evening. So Yes. And we're not shooting or anything. It's literally, if you look at the picture, it's just gin in a glass. So, oh. Although this is better than victory gin, no doubt. Probably so. Mm-hmm. No chaser. <laughs> How that feel to you? <laughs> they describe on multiple occasions in the Do book and in the movie nope. without words, but uh, yeah, his shuddering. Yeah, it just like sends it. convulsions through through yeah. Winston's oh body. Oh my god! <laughs> Don't worry, I'll get you something like uh, maybe for the next sip. How's that sound? I just water. Too. <laughs> There's some on the coffee table over there. Why don't you grab that? And um, also, it goes without saying, there will be spoilers. Uh, Many of you won't care. And if you're still listening just because you want to hear us banter about it, that's awesome. We appreciate you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. But I highly recommend, I'm not saying you should or you need to, but I (laughs) highly recommend reading this book. It's very important. Yeah, I would too. Um, Alex read the book. Tara read the book, right? I've read read it, it. um, I think, like back in high school, it doesn't you know count. how? Yeah, they so did I. Right, literally. Sure. Well, yeah. So like, I read it right, way back sure. when, and I knew the premise of it. But mm-hmm. again, you forget a bunch of stuff, and so right. Alex uh, had an interest. He read it first. You actually got it for Christmas this past year. Yeah, yeah. Year. Your mom got it for me. So he uh-huh. was reading it, and then I took it once he was done. Yeah. Or did and, you take and then it? I well no, audio. and then I I listened to the audiobook like on, concurrently with on audio. Audible. Yeah, right. And it was amazing because. Uh, after I finished it, I kept saying, I was like, Tara, please read this. I want to talk. There's a lot of really important stuff in here. And you tore through it in 40, like 36 hours. Yeah. Yeah. That was amazing. Astonishing. Yeah. I was yeah. real <laughs> impressed with that. Wow. Well, and one note about the gin, I I don't think it's just the main character who drinks. I think, I think everybody drinks. It's an it's, accepted thing. Like it's at like one the point in the book, the like country. they even say like these people are getting their, their slop lunch and they get gin <laughs> with lunch. Like they get this nasty shit with lunch. And it's they just, still have to pay for it. Right. It doesn't come with it. Yeah. But yeah. But like right. it's yeah. served 
it's... your premise of work at lunchtime. Yeah. And then yeah. you go back to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my. That's crazy. So... I'm just going to take and, and I'm going to start with a synopsis and you guys, whenever there's something I'm forgetting or whatever, just give me a look and then <laughs> just jump in and take over from there and we'll take turns. But anyways, in general, this takes place in the, of course, this would have been in the future, 1984, I think between the months of um, April and June, yes. I think is when it takes, yeah. it's it yes. whenever George Orwell has a setting. It's in London and basically there is... A totalitarian regime that has taken over in so the the whole world is divided into like new continents subcontinents whatever it is yeah. there's there's Oce Oceania or mm -hmm. Oceania there's Eurasia right. and East Asia right. and then um, even like the old United States I think is part of one of those it's part of Oceania it is? Yeah. Okay, great. So and there they, you go. I think they call the, the London or the, like the UK, they, they call that Airstrip One. Oh, That's yeah. That's the name of You're it. You're right. You're right. And like yeah. they, they comment in the book about it being so close to like the rest of Europe. And you're like, oh, you'd think it'd be part of, you know, your Asia, but... Exactly. Yeah, because the, the lines are, are very interesting and, you know, they go into detail and I, I don't want to spend too much time on that in the synopsis. But anyways, the protagonist of the story, his name's Winston Smith. And basically what his job is, there are multiple ministries in in this government, which is called the party. There's the inner party, which are like the super high up people. There's the outer party, which is where Winston is. And then there's the proles, which is short for the proletariat. And anybody who's familiar right. with communism knows what it's the working class, except it's extremely like a degradating thing in this sense. Sure. And, um, and there seems to be a kind of a an amount of responsibility put on each party to yes. to maintain themselves yeah uh, and conduct themselves right yeah. right and so it really when you come right down to it it's almost like winston is the new working class like it's the middle right. class basically right right so and what his job in one of these various ministries is he basically falsifies records he makes sure that all all of what the party wants everybody to, to know and believe is 100% aligned with their philosophy and like this facts as they said it. Because one of the most important philosophies or maybe even like the slogan of the party is who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. So if you think about that, if you hit pause and think about that, it makes a little bit more sense. But the point is they control all information and they might announce something one day and then completely reverse it next day or next year, next week, whatever. And all of the different records and, and written history, the party owns all of it. So it's as simple as his job is sitting at a desk all day. He'll receive orders to change the name of somebody who was killed or honored or uh, the date on which something happened or a detail about uh, a war that they're currently involved in. Because I think in, right. I might have these reversed, you guys help. I think they're at war with Eurasia in the beginning. Uh, it I might think be, so too. It might be East Asia. Yeah, I yeah. think it changes from... They're at war with Eurasia mm -hmm. and then East Asia. I think it, that's what happens also. It might be the other way around. It continuously changes throughout the book, back and forth, uh, and almost like without explanation. You right. Know, just from one day exactly. to the other. And, and yeah. Winston is constantly, you know, he's thinking, he's like, I know for a fact we were just at war with 
Eurasia for four years. But it's right. like once the party changes it, they say we're at war with East Asia, and we always have been. That's like, and you, that's the fact. Yeah, that's right. that's it. So uh, he is constantly like he's trying to think. And, and, like, he's trying to think, like, you know, when did everything get like this? There, certainly there was a time when there was there was free will and there was free thought and all this. But there's also, in a, uh, as part of the the government and, and almost, like, de facto martial law of everything, there's the thought police. And right. their focus is on finding thought crime and policing everybody through... Uh, oh, the telescreens. So there's telescreens everywhere. Right. Which are these annoying huge screens that are constantly broadcasting something and it's it's always right. propaganda you can turn them down but you can't turn them off yeah right and right. not only uh not only is is there that constant broadcast but they're always watching you right right and then there's they're, this yeah kind of a two-way thing you know yeah. they can see you you can see them and uh and obviously they're listening to everything yeah. so yeah. yeah like fraser they're listening yeah right, right. but okay so along the lines <laughs> of listening and watching if you've ever heard of anybody refer to Big Brother, Big Brother is from 1984. That's George Orwell created that notion, and we're still using that trope 80 years later, which is amazing. But basically, they use this image of this uh, strong-faced, mustachioed, dark-haired man, and it says, Big Brother is watching you everywhere. Mm. These posters are everywhere, and it's just a constant reminder. It's a surveillance state. That's yeah. it. It's a constant sure. reminder that you live in a surveillance state, right? and they're... They not only monitor your your overt actions, but they monitor your your subtle actions. I you know your eye movement, some muscle twitches, muscle twitches, the slightest little tick in yeah. your face, mm -hmm. and it, and that's how they determine if you're committing thought crime, which is basically free thought. Mm -hmm. and, sure. and one last thing, as I'm trying to sort of build the environment for you, is uh, the aspect of newspeak. So they have. They're creating their this new language where they are destroying words in the English language and trying to cut down the language so that the conversation that we're having right now it wouldn't even be conceivable because it's just it's 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 complete exactitude and basically the only thing you could say is like work is good or right in the name of simplicity and efficiency yeah. but with the ultimate goal of being able suppressing to suppressing thought exactly yes being able to control what you can phrase in everyday speak you wouldn't even Speech. you wouldn't <laughs> even be able to commit thought crime because there would be no when you think in your head you think with words you know what right. i mean like we sure. think in the english language if, if that's your native language and it would be so trimmed down and and cut down and policed it wouldn't even be possible right so i i think i did the best i could of setting up the setting what happens so again he starts writing in this journal off mm -hmm. the telescreen he's writing like right down with right. big brother and he's like hiding yeah somebody go from there where do we go from there i think then you get like a picture of his work environment in Ooh. no Wait. yeah no, oh, no yeah you're just shuddering okay. i'm just shuddering at the thought of yeah it so you get this picture it's of familiar. his work yeah um <laughs> And some of the people he works with, and then you are introduced to the two-minute hate, uh, yes. where the two-minute hate is basically propaganda video, and it riles up just all of the people at work for two minutes, mm -hmm. just screaming horrible thoughts. And, you know, in the book, you have more of, um, you know, what's going on, like dialogue inside of Winston's own mind of what he's right. saying, and because it affects him. And they show it in the movie as well. 
And so some of the propaganda, like, um, videos, like, you'll see, like, a battlefront war, stuff like that, um, you know, people dying. Mm. And then they show uh, Goldstein, who's, like, you know, basically the opposite of Big Brother. Right. In, in the, the yeah. easiest sense of describing it is, like, you know, he's this resistance leader or, you know, the big mastermind behind the enemy of Oceania. Mm-hmm. So. Right. I'm trying not to go too in depth. I'm trying to do like a broad. He, he, he's he's a he's an alleged figurehead uh, leader of the resistance. Or in the book, it's called the Brotherhood, right? Right. The Brotherhood. Sure. Yeah. That's they're they're the ones that are in the shadows, resisting uh, the party at all turns, and and obviously trying to give power back to the people. You know, as silly as that sounds, but I can't think of a better way to put it. Sure. So, yeah. Um, from the two minute hate, uh, we see him at one point. I think, like, perusing through the proletariat area. He revisits that place he got a uh, journal from. Yeah, so he, he buys, Mr. Charrington's. He goes Charrington's. back, yeah, Mr. Charrington's, he buys a paperweight, and it's solid glass with a piece of red, red-pink coral inside of it. Right. And from there, he keeps having these encounters, glances, things like that, with one of his coworkers named Julia, who's a big uh, player in the book as well. But she sees him leave the store, and so then, in his mind, from the two-minute hate, from that, he loathes this woman and wants her to die, and he's thinking about, how can I kill her so she, like, you know, doesn't... Expose. Expose me, and my life's not in danger. And uh, it's revealed, you know, later on in the book, I'm trying not to get too detailed, but it comes out, and she passes him a note that says, you know, I love you, and then, like, a location. And from there... They enter a love affair and they, you know, go through those little little workings and the nuances of how they can manage that in such a controlled and surveillance uh, society, basically. Um, and I'm trying to think after his Julia yeah. stuff. I'm just trying to get well, abroad so we can yeah. go in depth on other the, stuff. Sure. We also forgot another important character, and the reason that that's all not okay is because there's no romance, there's no love. You're not supposed to have sex for any other reason than procreation. Right. And artificial matter, insemination. Matter of fact, yeah. they're working on art sem, which is artificial insemination, mm-hmm. so that you don't even have to have sex anymore. And women are yeah, you're, they're they're just houses for children, all that stuff. But we forgot about O'Brien, right? Who is uh, O'Brien is an inner party member. That Winston sort of is just, he, he's always looking for him at, at events and he sees him at the two minutes hate and he just gets these vibes about him that that O'Brien is on his side, meaning on Winston's side. Like right. he, he believes glances. that he might be part of the resistance. Yeah, just glances and catching these subtle, um, these su- subtleties, I should say, that he, he just gets the feeling that there's, that O'Brien is part of the resistance. Right. And he also has these dreams where he, Here's O'Brien. He meets him and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, he's looking, the whole time he's looking for this chance to interact with O'Brien. Yeah. And try to get a little information from him or feel him out or something. Yep. And uh, he ends up getting that, like, right about that time. uh, O'Brien meets him, I think, in the hall. Mm -hmm. And uh, starts up this kind of a phony conversation about... Uh, some new speak dictionary that's coming out. Volume and, uh, 10. Volume 10, yeah, and offers <laughs> for him to come by his apartment later to borrow it. And uh, Winston kind of takes that as a signal that, you know, he's like inviting him kind of yes. into the brotherhood, so right. to speak. And uh, ends up going there with Julia to pick it up, talks to O'Brien, basically opens up to him, tells him, uh, all of all of their thoughts about you know like how they want to 
you know, get out of this or, or at least, you know, fight against the put their lives to society. Right, yeah, for the, yeah. For the brother. Somehow, yeah, right, right. And he, in ter- in return, receives this copy of the the manifesto, which... The, the manifesto that allegedly is written by this Emmanuel Goldstein, and it's called The Theory and Practice of Oligarchical Collectivism, which there we go. We'll, we'll get to in a second. <laughs> One right. other thing that um, we didn't mention is somewhere up in, uh, up in between the last few things we just talked about, whenever Winston is visiting Mr. Charrington's shop, he also talks to him about this room up above the shop that is vacant, and Mr. Charrington says, I'll rent it to you for $4 right. a week. And that's where he and Julia wind up keep on meeting for their 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 trysts. You know, they go up there and have sex, right. and they have contraband like coffee and sugar and, and just various things. Julia has makeup and wears a dress, and they're, like, naked all the time. So, like, that's their Real little sugar, haven. Yeah. yeah, that's their yeah. little haven, and, and they meet up every couple of weeks or whatever, something like that. So, right. anyways, they get this book from uh, from O'Brien, which turns out it's, it's that manifesto, and, you know, they take it back, and at their next meeting, Winston is sort of reading it to Julia in bed, and she kind of falls asleep. But then what's really cool, and this is where the book got, like, really important for me personally, is there's a book within the book and it's really neat because literally in this book they even like shrink the margins and make the font smaller so you feel you remember okay i'm reading a book inside this and that's one of the things i missed from listening to the audiobook i didn't didn't see it like that you know it it was just uh i gotta show it to you so this book the theory and practice of oligarchical collectivism it goes chapter by chapter and in the book you get to read it of course because winston's sitting there reading it and they talk about the, I talked about one party slogan already or a motto, but, you know, they have several sayings that they live by. And one of the most important things, which this might sound familiar if you've already listened or if you've ever read uh, The Circle that we talked about in episode 31, there are three very similar uh, mantras that they use. And it's very clearly modeled after 1984, but they say war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. Obviously, three completely contradictory statement but statements. But what's so cool is in this manifesto, uh, Emmanuel Goldstein elaborates, and this is almost like a manual for the Brotherhood, you know, of like why right. they're doing what they're doing. He elaborates and explains the mentality behind these this mantra uh, of the mm. party, these three sayings. So, anyways, just to get out of our out of the synopsis, because I realize we've been talking about just that for a while. At some point along all of this. Uh, Julia and Winston are talking to each other after, you know, making love and everything. All of a sudden, Winston said he's having this philosophical conversation with Julia. And he's looking at a pearl out on the street and he's like, she, that woman's alive. She's living. We are the dead. And then this, as the book says, an iron voice behind them says, you are the dead. And, and yeah. you know, their, their blood runs cold and they're like, oh my God, what was that? And everything that they say, there's this voice repeats it. And Julia's like, oh my God, it's it's behind the picture. And there was this beautiful painting on the wall that was like, you know, sort of like a, a part of the story uh, earlier on. And there's a telescreen that was hidden behind it. Right. And Julia's like, now they can see us. And the voice is like, now we can see you. They, they just keep <laughs> repeating everything. Winston says the house is surrounded. And the voice says the house is surrounded. It's really, really, <laughs> it's just real chilling because you're putting yourself in that situation. So they get yeah. beaten with truncheons and dragged off to the Ministry of Love, or mini-love, as it's called. And, of course, you know, there's more of that contradictory nature of of everything the party does. So, long story short, to wrap up the synopsis, 
they they get this is the third part of the book now it's separated into three parts and i don't know about you guys but aside from the manifesto itself the third part of the book was by far the most interesting and captivating for me yeah, yeah, I couldn't put it down. Definitely the most important. I mean, it's it's the it's what it's, everything's been building. It's for. the explanation, mm -hmm. exactly. So right. he uh, Winston is tortured and interrogated and beaten, etc. And then finally he gets taken into like this one-on-one -on -one private interrogation torturing session or sessions with O'Brien, where he has mm -hmm. these very matter-of-fact conversations with him, and he's asking. Uh, all throughout the movie as, or I'm sorry, uh, throughout the book, uh, as Winston is learning more about how this is all working, including he, after he reads the manifesto, he says, I understand the how, but I don't understand the why. And as he's talking to O'Brien, he's saying, yeah, I just want to know why are you doing this? And he's thinking, he's thinking to himself, yeah, I know it's because they think they're right and they actually think they're doing the best for humanity and mankind. Right. And the, I'll, I'll call it the really sick twist is O'Brien, uh, who, by the way, we did, I forgot to mention, he clearly, he sure. was not with the Brotherhood. Yeah, right, right. It turns it, out he is pretty obvious. Yeah, part. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, power is not a means, it's an end. And mm. he, he actually says that the reason that they're doing everything they're do that they're doing is for the sake of power itself. And right. it's like... Uh, building a culture on, thr on it thrives on hatred and suffering mm -hmm. and then uh, throughout all these torture sessions the the scariest thing for me and this like it chilled me to my bone when I read it because and we'll get into this with the discussion session I think so right. I'll, I'll just leave it with you for now he says at one point to Winston if you want a picture of the future imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever so the book continues, uh, the, the interrogations continue, and basically O'Brien says, we're not going to kill you until we've converted you because we don't, we don't make martyrs here. We, we convert right. you, we brainwash you, we fix you, as he's, or cure you, as they say, and then we blow your brains out, or that kind of thing, because they yeah. make you do a public confession and all of this. And uh, in room 101 in the, in the Ministry of Love, where the worst part, it's everybody's worst fear. So if your fear is spiders, Tara, they would have spiders in there. If your fear is drowning, they would waterboard you, James. In Winston's particular case, uh, his greatest fear is rats. So they literally dev devise this device to put on his face, and the rats are going to eat his face. They just eat through it. And finally, he betrays in his heart, not just in, in word, he betrays Julia in as much as he he's like anything but me do it to her do it to Julia don't do it to me and that's their goal is to like corrupt you on the in cha and change you on the inside and get to change your feelings not just what you say and how you act on the outside and what you do so by the end of the book it it just ends with him doing the, being quote cured they win the bad guy wins and he looks up at big brother and like has a tear of joy and it's and the book ends with he loved he loved Big Brother, so hmm. that's the big synopsis. Um, the one the one discrepancy I have, and I want you to reread this part mm -hmm. at the very very end. Yeah, because I was under the impression that he gets shot in the head in the book. Really, right here, the long hoped for bullet was entering his brain. I, I that's. Ooh. I think that's definitely metaphorical. I didn't even think about really? that. Really? I was not thinking metaphorical at all. 
Maybe. Maybe okay, that's hold up hold maybe that's up for like debate and maybe that's why the author wrote it that way. But like as I was reading this final scene of him sitting in the uh, Chestnut Tree Cafe, which is where all these people go after they've gone through their torture and they're now they're waiting to die, basically, yeah, because they've been he's converted. In, he's in the uh, he's in the restaurant, the waiter. Yeah, I know, that's what I mean. Yeah. And so like you're going through and, and he's going through these reflections of, mm. you know, work, a big brother, everything, all this stuff, and then you read this sentence of this long awaited for bullet enters his brain and as that has happened He's gazing upon the face of Big Brother, tears streaming down his face, well, and he loves Big Brother in his, you know, dying moment. I don't know. That's the way I read it, and yeah. that could be totally wrong. Yeah. No, it's definitely plausible. It could have been that the author left it up for a little bit of interpretation. Mm-hmm. It, it yeah. could be that the bullet is more of like, like corrupting the inside as well as... It could be the metaphorical out. bullet. That, that's that's what I... Again, Tara, I didn't even think about it from a literal standpoint. So I, I, I think that is what it is. But you could be right, and maybe, maybe, maybe if I googled it, I would find out that that is a, an ambiguous ending. I don't know. But hmm. one of you guys, before we talk about everything on a, on a larger scale, I guess, do you want to just talk about the high points and how awesome the movie was? If you have read the book. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was thrilled with the movie uh, in the sense that I felt like it was very accurate to the book. As much as a movie could be to a book, you know. That's exactly what because I would have said. Because there, there's some stuff you can't convey There's so much in a stuff movie. in a book. You know, you like, can't, you can't make a, a lot movie. Of, like, perfect example. When the first time you see in the two-minute hate in the book, Winston's like, I want to rape that girl. And he's talking about Julia. But in the, in the movie, you can't hear his thoughts because... Right. I, I mean, maybe they could have voiced over, and they, and, did. And they had his his mouth mm-hmm. shut. But right. They didn't, a but, lot of little tiny subtleties like that, obviously, they're gonna gloss over. But all the yeah. high points of the book, I think they pretty much nailed. Yeah, yeah. They ten can't, out of ten. They can't it's really good. They yeah. can't do as much because it would be a ten hour movie. But they definitely oh, yeah. did do a lot of those things where they showed Winston and he wasn't talking, but it was his voice. So mm-hmm. they were yeah, it was sort of uh, an inner monologue of sorts. Yeah. But we all agreed the film adaptation was probably the most accurate we have ever seen of any movie to the point where yeah. most of the dialogue was mm-hmm. verbatim. Yeah, and right, I mean right. verbatim. Yeah. Including right. my favorite quote about the, the boot stamping on a face. Yeah. It was just, it was amazing. And he's, you know, if, if you are a man, you are the last man. That's what's left of mankind. I mean, right. to yeah. a T. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One of the one of the things I liked about the book, you know, you see Winston and Julia talking about the brotherhood, and in the movie The Resistance, and it's a little bit more um, emphasized. Like it's more there's more emphasis in the book on the brotherhood and that mm. whole resistance thing, um, and even the conversation um, that Julia and Winston have with. O'Brien is more in depth than the one in the movie because there's just Winston and it takes mm-hmm. like you know there's like a little bit of dialogue and then he leaves with the dictionary. They kind of build up this thing like yeah like this is a really there's a big network of brotherhood people brothers in the brotherhood or comrades as they say mm. and you know at the end when he's being tortured and O'Brien is the guy torturing him and it's like they're the inner party and they just created. By any stretch of the imagination, maybe I'm incorrect in my thinking, but the way I interpreted it was that the inner party created that book. They basically explained what they are doing, 
you know, in this little manifesto and they let people read this enough to be like, oh my God, wow. They realize how fucked up it is. And then they get tortured and beaten and they're like, oh my God, the inner party wrote this. This, this guy gave me this book and now he's right. just destroying me completely. Yeah, because... And so it, that just blew my mind. It's like they, 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 not only do they have all surveillance and control every part of you and can brainwash you back into loving the, the big brother, but the brotherhood is part of big brother. It's not even real. Yeah. Plausibly. It, it might not yeah. even be real. And right. Goldstein, maybe that's just some guy that they put mm. the face on and then they just paint him horrible. He might not even exist by any stretch of anything in that book. It just might be something for people to hate. And there were there were two important things that I wanted to touch on there with, first of all, they, they definitely, O'Brien himself reveals... Winston is just resisting to the end, and he's like, you, you'll fail. He said, I don't know what it is. You know, I'm not going to stop you, but something in this universe will stop you. You can't, hatred alone, it's not sustainable, and it can't thrive as a society. And he's like, what's going to stop us? And, you know, the, the human spirit, the spirit of man or whatever, and he's talking about the brotherhood and everything else, and he's like, I... He said, I wrote it, meaning O'Brien, about the manifesto. And then he says, or I collaborated in writing it. And he says, as you know, no individual work is right. No work is produced individually. Or what? It's just yeah. like a, yeah. yet another reminder. We control everything. Which right. Is so right. creepy. Yeah. But um, yeah. The other thing that I really thought was interesting about that whole entire thing is not only did the inner party write that manifesto, you know, based on like evidence, but um, it's almost like they're weeding out people like this this whole fallacy of yeah. the brotherhood right they're spreading a rumor of a brotherhood and resistance to them within their own you know little island right to say so, okay we're gonna weed out all these people right. that they're think like they're flushing come out against us those people yeah. yeah exactly and and i thought that was so interesting i'm like i'm like wow yeah ignorance i'm like these people actually thought that they had it's kind of sad too once you mm. get through reading and you're like shit well they really wanted to get out and that's that's one mystery that they leave in the book. And yeah, I, that's I would true. say if there's a single shred of hope that, that George Orwell leaves for the readers is, and I don't remember them asking it in the film, which that was the only thing that I, that I was like, oh, dang, that seems kind of crazy to leave out. But I yeah. swear in the book, Winston asks him direct, directly, because O'Brien's like, ask me all the questions you want, I'll give you the answers. And he asks, is the brotherhood real? And he says, that is one thing you will never know the answer to. And it's like, Oh, I love that yeah. that is left as a big question mark because uh -huh, right. I feel like it could, it could totally go either way. Especially when you see the extent of of their power and control, yeah. you would think maybe it really isn't. Well, but you can see it either way exactly. being in their advantage to keep that from the public. One hundred percent. Even if it was fabricated, then you would not want to expose that. The as it being makes fabricated. as usual along with the lines with everything else the party does they have everything calculated and yeah. predicted perfectly and it's it's scary I mean let's let so let's let's shift a little bit on oh, the one other difference they they say comrade in the book they all call each other comrade right and they all call each other brother and sister in the movie which I wondered that was 1984 that that mm -hmm. came out and I wonder if like. If if it was a, it hit a little too close to home in American history at that time, you know, like right, with the Cold War, yeah, and that sort of thing, yeah, I don't right. know, like so that was interesting, probably, yeah, who but, knows? Which I, I I don't know, little things like that are cool, but getting down to 
why this book is so important now more than ever, as trite as that sounds, is I I see a lot of it in the world today. For sure. Can you absolutely can you tell the listeners, James, one of the first things that we talked about after the movie last night that you mentioned that remember what the trucks Oh yeah, yeah. Just the fact that in like today, like every time you look at any media outlet or anywhere for that matter, you're either directly or subliminally told that uh, there are terrorists that are your enemies, that are there are you know uh, Muslim extremists that are your enemies, and not to discredit their existence, but. Until I personally am, you know, as, until I'm personally affected? affected by that. Yeah, like, I don't know for a fact that any of that exists. Now, I'm not going to say that I doubt it, per se, but, you know, I don't know who these people are, you know? Yeah, it's. I, and I think, like, let's, let's say, for example, somebody listening to this, and this is going to happen at some point. Somebody listening to this podcast is knows somebody who died in the in the attacks on the Twin Towers on September 11th, 2001. Yeah. So those sure. people would be completely on the opposite of side of that fence and and maybe even a little bit offended by that notion. I I think what what you're saying and you correct me if I'm wrong, James. Mm. I think what you're saying and what I agree with was like specifically with those those trucks that were going by with prisoners, for Eurasian prisoners yeah. going by, that and was a... sullen faces, and it's like, and they're they're in the crowds, and the people are hating them, and every, and it's like th- those human beings that mm-hmm. were soldiers in another country's army, like, right, they're not the the enemy, like those fellow humans, yeah. and that is to say, that yeah. it's like yeah. you said, you weren't, you're not you... discrediting the existence of extremists, but it's like. 99% of the Middle East, for example, right. is yeah, not our enemy. For sure. For 1% sure. might be. And, right. and, and again, you and I don't have and, direct experience. And I think it's more, it's like the, it's the countries, it's the, the, the political it's themes. It's the politicians. Those are the people who are actually fighting. Yeah. You know, the, the everyday people, the people like you and me, the people over there like you and me. We don't have any animosity. No. Or at least we shouldn't. No. And any you, you animosity should. that we do have has been given to us from politicians. Fabricated. Yeah, it's, right. It's literally, it's propaganda. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. the things that we think about countries that we're at, that we either have been at war with or were at war with uh, at one point or are at war with, it's like, as far as I am concerned, as an individual, I mm. have no direct experience with any of it. All I get is what is, like, force-fed to me. And right. When you look at it in the context of of this novel, it's it's chilling. I mean, there's just so many yeah. things about it. You know, yeah. the idea of that quote that just resonates so heavily with me about if you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. That happens everywhere in the world. Like sure. humankind being downtrodden under the boot of somebody in power. And most times it's governments and politicians like i understand that there are criminals out there and sadists and and freaks and criminals but like most times it's governments and politicians for sure for sure yeah and it's oh my god i I see so much of our world 
in this book that was supposed to be sci-fi and right it's really not anymore and that's upsetting well the one thing i will say so in this book um the one of the big things is the written records and looking at like the either articles newspapers books anything like that that is all under lock and key being mm. edited you know, basically Winston's editing things and he's changing records, um, you know, all the time. And I think one of the things which I don't want to call it a ray of hope for us, but I mean, in America, for example, we have, you know, the freedom of speech. And so we do have traditional media where you look at, I don't know, New York Times, they, they write newspaper articles, things like that. And you know, you have that, like, they give you a headline, like, here, mm. here, oh, here's a big story of all this stuff, Saudi Arabia, oil, like, all this crazy shit. And then, like, the other thing, too, that, and, and it's it's hit or miss with some stuff, um, and I know cell phones are, like, the bane of existence, but at the same time, you right. know, I'm free to post a video of something. I'm, I'm free to have a video of an atrocity occurring and not have myself killed for it. And in some countries, people are able to take videos of stuff like that happening. Like, for example, right now in Hong Kong, there are a lot of protests happening. And I can go on Twitter and I can search some hashtags like Hong Kong, Stand With Hong Kong, stuff like that. And I can see videos that people are there taking videos of. So they're they're showing you. And so this kind of relates to the circle in the sense of everything being on film and being witnessed mm -hmm. and nothing escapes the grasp of history. And so maybe there's a little bit of ray of hope for like humanity for us to like not be sheeple and like we can actually say okay yes that person experienced that thing like that's not a made-up video like that's not fabricated but at the same time people can doctor videos so it's a toss-up it, it's kind of like you have to be open to looking at the experience and then looking at what information is presented to you taking that in and not taking it to heart per se like sometimes like and i'll do this at work i'll pull up a little incognito browser on microsoft explorer <laughs> and it'll give me this little web page of like all the the news quote in quotes right and i'll read through all this bs and i'm just like oh okay i'm like oh what's going on in the world today and i'm like oh donald trump democratic party like what all this craziness that's happening and the random football article and i'm just like Almost half of all of this is fodder. Some of this might have relevant information, if that. But, again, I think it's the ability to just take that information for what it's worth and not be blinded by a message and take that for, like, the word of God. Well, like, I don't know. That's I, I, I agree with just about everything there. And you, you said the country, Saudi Arabia, you just mentioned it. And that's actually, that gives me a perfect segue for a good example of something like this. That just just this week, uh, well, I'm sorry, whenever you hear this episode, I'm not 100% sure, but it, it will have been recent. Uh, it was like September, I don't know, 15th or something like that. There was a drone strike on these oil fields in Saudi Arabia. Any, well, allegedly, anyway. I'm not over there. I can't Wait, see it. I want to pull up the article you sent. And... It's unbelievable. That was actually a Robin Hood newsletter because I read those. Um, but as crazy as it is, uh, American officials, which anytime I see those <laughs> words, I in, I'm immediately distrustful. It's like, what is what is that? It's just yeah. a bunch of liars. I mean, like, yeah, like look at you know, like the CIA. I, I don't know, like who's yeah. American officials? Right. And then it says American officials say it was Iran, 
and Yemen, you know, uh, rebels and Roman, uh, Yemenian, I don't know, yeah. uh, rebels in Yemen took credit for the strike. And it's like, okay, well, somebody's lying. Right. One of these two parties is lying. And you think, like, who has more to gain from lying? Probably American officials. I, I don't know. The, the Probably, whole thing yes. is just insanity. And what's another interesting thing about all that stuff that you were saying, T, you brought it back to the, the circle. Um, I don't know what episode it was. I think it was maybe episode 21. And I uh, tongue-in-cheekily named it Not Politics. But mm-hmm. it reminds me of Horseshoe Politics in in where if something is so far to the left or something is so far to the right it actually doesn't matter because the 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 horseshoe theory basically says that they wind up meeting like if you think about a horseshoe with the center being at the top in the middle and i've mentioned this before anybody else who's never done this before please look up the differences and similarities between fascism and communism there aren't that many differences there are some but yeah to me, they're so extreme, and when you look at all the similarities, they might as well be the same thing. They're, they're both equally terrible and implausible. And what's funny is you have uh, those two societies. You have the extreme surveillance state in, in 1984 where, where information is controlled and it's a totalitarian government. And then Tara was saying, oh, I can go on the internet and I can see videos of things happening and everything. And that is the the full transparency thing of the circle. Mm-hmm. But then at some point you get to the situation where like, well, all that could be doctored. And like the circle could just disseminate this information or video that, that is completely falsified. And it's right. like, now they're the same thing. Yeah, exactly. The, the one thing, when he sent this article today, and, and this is a theme that you'll see... Um, in both the book and the movie, 1984, um, especially when they're sitting in like that mess hall eating their mm-hmm. lunch, there's you know a propaganda voice on the screen saying like, "Oh, cho- chocolate rations are being increased by three percent, um, and it's up from two percent," which that's a total fallacy because when you look at it, and Winston even he changes the record and it has gone from two to one or something. It's, it went from right. like thirty grams yeah, to twenty-five. Yeah, it's crazy. And even in this article that Alex sent to us. Um, it said something about uh, the price of an uh, oil barrel by the most ever in a single day. Uh, the price went up in about 15% or something. It's just like right. that right there. Like that's a vague figure in, in a percent. And sure. it's like, oh. And of it course it's tied to oil. Like, sure. Yeah, well, it sounds just like something on 1984. You, so I laughed. I was like, this You can is crazy. follow the money once again. Like, if that act of violence made people millions and possibly even made one billions of dollars, yeah. exactly, that, then it's it's I'm, I'm skeptical. Of it. I, I like that you that you brought that up, James. That's some good wisdom from uh, James's father. Uh, James has told me before that their father has been pounding into their heads all their lives. <laughs> follow the money. Follow the money, and yeah. that is very important. Yeah. So, yeah, for oh, yeah. sure. I don't and know. It, as as I get older, I'm I'm only I'm 28, soon to be 29. I get I try and be optimistic and positive, and then all you know in the same breath, I get more cynical and more more skeptical is a better word. I get more skeptical of the world around me with each passing day because I feel like I'm starting to take the blinders off and like see through all the the as my dad says. I can separate the pepper from the fly shit. And uh, that's a good one, right? Yeah. Uh, I like that. Yeah. It's, 
it's just crazy. I mean, just try and remember that you, you shouldn't believe everything you hear and only, what is, what's the expression? Nothing of what you hear and half of what you see. Yeah, so, right, right. I mean, that's all. Any, any other closing thoughts, you guys? There's just, this book is um, very important. It, it's I a sombering book, it. and I, it, I think it it's important. I, I think it's a good, I think it's a good thought exercise to try to imagine, well, in, in any sense, to imagine yourself in another's position. So when, when yes. you read this book and you try to put yourself in that world, and it's, and it's very good, it's a good exercise to do when you're reading, especially, um, but to imagine yourself being Winston with a varicose ulcer, limping around and like itching, like just, just overall being dirty, living in a dirty place. And for me, one of the interesting things, you know, in comparison to, to the circle, how grimy and uh, World War II this book sounded yeah. versus the circle and how things were crisp and clean and kind of like futuristic. More brave new worldy. Yeah. Um, and that was very interesting because I'm like, oh, it's crazy that they have this level of control, but people are just impoverished. And you just really put yourself in that, in, in those shoes and think, is this a good world? Is this a world I want to live in? Like, do I want this truly? Or, or any your action that you're... No, it, it should be. I'm going to say should. Your answer mm-hmm. should be no. You should not want to live in the world of 1984. And on a micro level, you know, just think about the actions that you take on a daily basis and how they affect others. And, you know, it's it's okay to question the, the motives of, of others and the things that you hear and see, especially on TV and the news. And it's like, can, can we all work together to not live in Oceania? Can, right. Can we can we at least all is that the one thing that we can all agree on? Or maybe yeah. I don't know. You know what? There's probably some people who want that. So so no, we probably can't agree on that. Probably not. Right. But I think Orwell's main focus on writing the book and I think the message of the book is that uh, political ide- ideology is either will or is going to hit a lot closer to home than you might think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just because a government or a political idea sounds good doesn't necessarily mean it's very good yeah and an, another interesting thing you know the inner party and all the, the, the lavish things they have access to like wine here your right. people are drinking shit j- victory gin and he you know o'brien's drinking nice red wine and it's just like the decisions of the few affect the whole lives right. of the many yeah and, and that's that's astonishing that's right. really astonishing right that we don't have as much control as we think we do. Nobody can see it, but I'm doing that symbol. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the movie, uh, whenever they're doing the two minutes hate, and anytime they're cheering, it's it's honestly it's like a Nazi salute. That it kind of that's yeah, what they're yeah, going yeah. for. They they put the they cross their their wrists and put them up in the air, and it's it's basically this this book's world. Uh, it's it's like their Nazi salute basically in this this crazy <laughs> crazy ass society. But yeah, that's uh, 1984 in a nutshell. Yeah. Uh, again, if you if you listened and you haven't read the book, it's this is a book where just because we told you what happened, there aren't crazy enough twists that it ruins it. the The book itself is worth reading because it's important. That manifesto is fascinating because we didn't talk in detail at all about how is ignorance strength and how is war, how is continuous right. war, peace, and all like that's yeah. the kind of stuff this book is worth reading for. And also, it's a thousand times, it's written a thousand times better 
than like the circle, for example. I mean, the circle was fine. Yeah, but that was I kept a like note. Modern day. I yeah. kept a note is... of every word that I wasn't sure what meant or didn't know how to spell it. I have thirty nine words in one note on my iPhone for, just from that one book, which is nice. just to me that's like pornography. Yeah. So <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. Good book yeah you should read it. It, it it brings you down so read it fast yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did forget to talk about your favorite character the, Ver- oh, yeah, yeah. the varicose ulcer the varicose ulcer was my favorite character they, they don't do anything <laughs> with winston's ulcer in the movie but it is described and referenced in exhausting detail multiple times in the book and it's incredible but i can't think of any really good catchphrases from the book so anything to end it with oh i know Let's do a crossover reference. Down with Hitler. All the way down. So the gin's gone. Testy boys. Testy boys podcast. Testicles podcast. Test, test, test. Vinny test a herpy.